You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. So let's get our Bibles open right away. Our Bibles open to Romans chapter 8. We'll be looking uh, at verses 18 to 25 primarily. This is the final week of our Living Hope series. And um, I've really enjoyed this process. So we've been in this series now for about a month. And uh, we've done so because we've changed our church name to Hope Bible Church. And we wanted to unpack what does the Bible teach on this beautiful concept of hope and what does it mean theologically and what does it mean practically for our lives. So I've been studying hope in a way I've never done before and not in this way in depth and I've just been so blessed by it. I pray you have as well. I mean biblical hope, it's what? Powerful, it's indestructible, it's beautiful. Obviously it's supremely biblical. And so here's our message title this week and it's this, uh, God Hope. God Hope with a question mark. You got hope? You got hope? Now, I remember the Got Milk campaign uh, growing up, or at least in the last several years. Anyone else remember the Got, Got Milk campaign? Anyone? So some, but some of you may be shy, put your hand up, whatever it is. But it's amazing. I tried to ask some people, like, let's say um, in the state of our staff now, so I'm at the place in ministry and in the age of my life where I'm sitting in certain staff meetings, and some staff members are half my age. Now, that's discouraging, church, okay? How did that happen, you know? And so I'll say, hey, do you remember when, I, remember when this happened? Or remember, remember this person or that? And they'll look at me with blank stares. Doing, Dude, I wasn't even born yet. I'm just like, wow, that's also depressing. Anyways, so the Got Milk campaign, it actually only ended five years ago. And it lasted for 20 years. That's, that's impressive. And it was celebrities and different people, and they would sit there, and they got milk, and then they had the, the milk mustache, right? And that was kind of the proof that they were drinking the healthy, nutritious milk that they were advertising. It was a very successful campaign. So today, though, we're this. We're, we're got hope. We're got hope. And now, uh, it's not going to leave a mustache. That would just be weird, right? That would be weird. However, here's what you need to know. If we truly have hope, if hope is really in us, it will be seen from us. Hope will make a difference. Hope will be identifiable upon our lives. Hope will be heard by the words we speak. It will. Hope will be seen in the lives that we live. Hope will be impacting the character found within us. Hope will be detected in the direction that we're taking within our lives as well. If we truly have hope, it will be visible. So if there's no visible signs of hope in our lives, that's a serious spiritual problem. I want you to look at Romans 8, verse 24. Romans 8, verse 24, it says, For in this hope we were saved. That's interesting. For in this hope, in this hope we were saved. Um, this phrase becomes the hub of our passage. Now, let's just be clear. It's not hope that saves us. That's not what it's saying here. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith, yes, faith in what Christ has done saves us, not by what we do. Grace by faith, but faith will always result in hope, the hope of our salvation. In this hope, we were saved. But here's a good question. Um, but what hope are you talking about right now, Robbie? Um, how do I recognize this hope? I'm kind of intrigued. Do I have hope? Well, how do I know if I have this hope? Um, what signs will I see in my life? What are the indicators? What are the indicators that I truly have this hope? We're going to answer those questions with our glorious 
passage today. I'm going to read our text uh, in full, and then we will begin to unpack and answer the question, um, if or not uh, we have hope. So Romans 8, look at verse 18 to start. Verse 18, such a good text. Let me read it for us right now. Uh, Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present world, or present time, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Uh, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The sons of God are believers in Christ. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, notice, in hope, here's hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Amen, church? Amen? We're groaning for that. Verse 24. For in this hope, here we go, in this hope we were saved, in the hope that was just discussed. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what they see? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So again, answering the question, do I got hope? Do I got hope? Well, the first indication from this text that I truly have hope, number one, is this. It changes what I value. If I have hope, it changes, it determines what I value in my life. Verse 18, again, it is dripping with hope. Take a look again, verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Again, hope dripping from this verse. I encourage you to take a drink. It'll change your life. A drink from this well. It's so satisfying. It's life transforming. Notice once again here though, right from verse 18, notice once again the very clear theme of suffering in the New Testament. Undeniable, irrefutable, those who truly follow Christ, there's a theology of suffering constantly being presented. And when you're in a text, you want to get context, because context is king. Look at verse 17, verse 17 before 18. And if we're children, then we're heirs. And if we're heirs of God, then we're fellow heirs with Christ. That is so encouraging. That is amazing. But notice now what comes next. Provided we suffer with Christ in order that we may be glorified with him. So this is fascinating to me. If you read verse 17, you take it for what it says, which we should. What is one of the great proofs of our sonship or daughtership or proof that we are children of God? One of the great proofs of our status as children of God is that we suffer with Christ, that we may be glorified with Christ. I mean, it says right there, if you're a child of God, you're an heir of God, you're an heir of God, you're an heir of Christ, provided that we suffer with him. So right now, spiritual timeout, spiritual timeout, this is a moment of Christian, biblical, again, Christ follower maturity right now, right now. 
Not for the weak, not for those who just want easy life, whatever. We're finding out right now. Sometimes the most common prayers we pray are prayers of God. Remove this trial, remove this heartache, remove any form of suffering, remove any difficulty, remove anything hard. Lord, I just, I just want life to be easy. And can, can you understand that right there, as you pray those prayers, you might be asking God to remove the very thing that proves you are his child. And just think about that for a second. Based on the text right now. Again, the person without trial, any, any suffering, suffering is just, it's, it's so different for every person. But the reality is it hits every single person in Christ in some form, in some way. Again, the very thing that is our true identity in Christ is we're living at a cost with him and for him right here, right now. Again, this is what hope realizes. It's not about now, it's what's to come. And verse 17, surprisingly, leads into verse 18. Imagine that. And verse 18, Paul says, hey, let's talk about suffering for a second. In fact, he's like, I want to download some truth to you. If we talk about suffering, suffering in the present world is not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. There's three main players happening in verse 18. Three main players. The first player is suffering. The second player is glory. And in the middle between, look up here for a second, between suffering and glory, what's in the middle is this phrase, not worth comparing. In the Greek, in the original, not worth comparing, uh, carries um, the, the idea or the meaning of weight or scales, okay? It was used figuratively in the speech or speech such as tipping the scales, okay? So what Paul's doing right now, he's just saying this, he's like, if we were to put on the scales of life in eternity, if we weighed present sufferings for Christ versus the glory that will be, no, no, no. As I begin to say this, I'm not diminishing on any level from any situation the suffering you are currently in, the difficulty I don't understand, the burdens that you carry, the heartache you, I, I understand that I don't understand, okay? But I'm telling you what Paul's saying right now. He says, no matter how bad, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard, because Paul could speak from experience, man, shipwrecked, stoned, persecuted, massively, in prison, on and on, sleepless nights, hunger, again, all these things he went through over and over again he says this you take the hardest situations in life and you place it on the scale versus now the weight of the glory that will be revealed to us in Jesus Christ he says you can do that but don't bother and the reason don't bother is because the glory will so far outweigh anything we've been subjected to here on this earth that in the end and over the course of time and eternity it won't even look like a dot of burning compared to the beauty and the glory and the reality that we found in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a massive theme throughout the New Testament and especially in Paul's writings. 2 Corinthians 4 says this. Paul says, again, in, in tremendous cross-reference to our text, for this light, you know, it's so encouraging for me. I woke up this morning. I got in my Bible reading plan. Hey, where am I at today? 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. Bam, so good. It's like our whole passage today in Romans 8. And here's what it says. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. See, now, not diminishing your affliction right now, but understanding when you compare it with glory, it's light and momentary. In contrast with the eternal weight, temporal, eternal, light, the weight of glory is beyond all comparison. See what Paul's doing right now? 
Paul is just, I want you to watch what's happening here too. The, the weight of glory, his value system is coming forth. Notice too, loved ones, in these passages that we're reading, notice how much Paul is impacted by eschatology. He's obsessed with eschatology. Like, what's eschatology? The study of end times. It's last things. It's the return of Christ. Please notice this. How much the Holy Spirit is so, again, so filled that our minds would be thinking on eschatology. Because that's supposed to be one of the greatest sources of our encouragement. Paul is constantly saying, suffer now, reward's coming. Suffer now, glory be revealed. Suffer now, no big deal when compared to my reality with Christ forever. This is one of the great themes of his life. It's his value system. This should be one of the great themes of your life and mine as well. If I have hope, it's, it's filtered through everything I think of and say and do in every day I live. Because the reality is I don't ultimately live for now. I live for what will be. Now Paul now gives an example of this longing and hope and longing for freedom of what will be. Look at verse 19 now. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, that in hope the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory um, of the children of God. So this is so interesting here. This is amazing to me. Paul now explains that creation itself, uh, the earth and the universe, is longing to be set free. So creation, I mean, check this out, creation is filled with hope. Why is the creation longing to be set free? Set free from what? Set free from the curse of sin. Genesis chapter 3 tells us because of the sin of Adam and Eve that the creation was subjected to the curse of sin. The creation now, as in the text says, subjected to futility, or that can be frustration. Um, our, our earth that we live in, our universe is frustrated because uh, it's not as originally intended to be in Genesis 1 and 2. The creation wants to be liberated from the corruption and bondage. Creation is longing, again, to be said. It's interesting. Creation can't wait till Christ returns to reveal Christ's true church and true children, sons and daughters of God, because when they are revealed, then creation is set free. As the text says right here. When Christ returns and we become perfected, then new heavens and new earth, then the, the earth is set free and the universe is set free from its corruption and bondage and the curse of sin. You say, well, well how, do you, how do you know that, Robbie? Because the word tells us that fact. Here's what Genesis 3 says regarding the impact of the curse of sin. Cursed is the ground because of you, God says, because of your sin, Adam and Eve. And notice the example that Genesis 3 gives to the earth uh, sprouting and longing to be set free from its curse. It mentions weeds. If you know me, you will know how much I hate weeds. This is why right here. This is why. One of the greatest symbols and indications this earth is cursed is weeds 
Not to mention the earth and the creation groaning and expressing that through hurricanes, tornadoes, and earthquakes, and climate chaos, and all that's happening, right? This shall bring forth to you. It's so interesting, though. Thorns and thistles. That's why pictures like this make me shudder. Go ahead. There it is. Whoa. This is our church this week. I have to walk across the mezzanine often and look and ah, there it is again. And by the way, a little bit, not without hope, the cross of Christ and the hope of the cross is looking down upon the evil of the dandelions that are there. I love that so much. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you for encouraging me in this. And of course, dandelions look nice from a distance, but you get up close and the evil is apparent within. Do not be deceived, young children. Do not be deceived. Okay. You can pick them for your parents, but in the end, that'll be a disaster, all right? So you see, Dan, this is the earth screaming out, saying, by the way, I'm pretty much convinced there's no dandelions in heaven. New earth? No, 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 no. They are part of the curse. And this is the earth saying, man, I want to be set free. Set free from the weeds and the thorns and the thistles and the climate again chaos and all the environmental things that are going on around us. It's so amazing to me. An eager longing. The creation, um, in verse 19, eager is like tiptoe. Uh, creation's on its tiptoes looking. It's a coming. It's a coming. So wanting to be freed from the curse of sin. And corruption. I notice the last two words in verse 20. It says, in hope. In hope. You see, the power of hope, it is determining the value system of creation. How much more hope should you determine the value system of us who say we're alive in Jesus Christ? And just as we think about hope and what hope should be within us, I just want to take a bit of a time out to give some hope homework this week, okay? And if you want to take out your phone and take a picture of this, you can totally do that right now. Because I really want us, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, if you don't have to work on the holiday Monday or this week, maybe take you 10, 15 minutes, go slow. But here's, here's how hope should be lived out in our lives. Not exhaustive. But it's beautiful, it's powerful. A hope is living hope. The intro text of this series, it is a ble- this is such a great passage here, Titus, to read it. The blessed hope describing our salvation. A joyful hope, again, in one another and what it brings. Uh, the comforting hope, First Thessalonians 4, this is in death. And then in Christ's return, powerful passage. The hope of glory, Christ in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory, our maturity in Christ. Again, anchoring hope, Pastor Craig's message from Hebrews 6. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't know about this this week, or I was reminded of this. 1 John 3 explains, if we have hope, it should be that which is leading us to be more pure because of what Christ has done for us. Hope purifies us because we're seeking. You see it all through Paul's life. He's seeking more of Christ. It's determining his decisions. He doesn't want to sin. He hates sin. He wants to move in Christ. Again, hope purifies. So a bit, of, a bit of hope homework for us. I pray we'll take seriously to be encouraged again as we pursue this hope. So, got hope, got hope. If we have hope, then it, it changes what I value. Leads us to point two. Uh, if we got hope, then it does this too. Um, it groans for my redemption. Hope groans for my redemption. Say, where do you get that from? Verse 22. Just going verse by verse here. That's all I do. 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So what do we learn about hope? Hey, 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 do I have hope? Here's how you know if you have hope, you groan. Hope groans unapologetically without exception. Hope groans in the life of the believer. Now let's be sure now, this isn't, this isn't complaining. That's not groaning biblically. It's not murmuring. Some of you are like, oh man, I'm really good at that. No, 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 no. It's not feeling self-pity. Those are all sinful aspects of groaning or complaining. Biblical groaning here is righteous groaning. Is groaning with creation, as we'll see, and even with the Holy Spirit, we are groaning for the fulfillment of that which we tasted. Paul says the whole creation is groaning in the pain of childbirth. Now, what a metaphor to use here, huh? Think about that. Think about the pain of childbirth and all that a woman goes through in the delivery of a child and the pain inherent within. But then as the child comes forth, as the new breath emerges, as this new life is seen, then all of a sudden the pain is forgotten. At least it's worth it for the result of this incredible miracle that is now being held in her hands. This is what creation is doing. Creation right now is in the pains of childbirth. It is groaning, but longing to be set free. For when the new heavens and the new earth are given, and creation is restored to its Edenic state, as in Genesis 1 and 2, it will all be worth it. Jesus predicted that before his second coming, there will be wars and famines and earthquakes, and there'll be birth pains. In fact, here's how he said it in Matthew 24. Again, ask when, what will the signs be upon your return? He says there will be nation rising against nation. We see that all around us right now. Kingdom against kingdom. We see that too. There will be famines, check, and earthquakes, check, in various places. And no, Jesus says here, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains as creation is groaning again for its freedom found at the deliverance from corruption and bondage. Creation is groaning in this way. What about us? Verse 23. Verse 23, not only creation. The text says, but we ourselves, we ourselves, we groan inwardly, inwardly as we wait eagerly for our full adoption. Church, we, we should be groaning. A lot of us right now are groaning physically. In this room right now, as we age, again, I read this morning, 2 Corinthians 4, though our outer nature is wasting away. And it is. It is. I feel it every day. Do you? I feel it every day. I mean, some of you right now, man, you got bones that are creaking loud. You wake up and, whoa! Some of you right there, a serious illness upon you. It's your, it's your body groaning to be set free. A lot of us there, just muscles so sore, different elements that are happening, eyesight, whatever it is. All these things, it's physically we're growing. I mean, I think of this week and the example that I feel even at this moment right now as I'm preaching is quite annoying. It's just allergies. You lie, lie awake at 3 o'clock at night, you got these razor blades in your throat from just these uh, allergic to what, Robbie? Most definitely dandelions. Won't be sad to see that season pass. 
swollen right now. It's this dumb thing that you feel in your whatever. My body's groaning. It's just, it's just, if your allergies are groaning, it's just an aspect. This, this will not be imperfection. You won't be, again, uh, feeling this way at all. The, the physical parts of groaning, we all experience that. Young people, you're like, not me too much. Your turn's coming, man. Your turn's coming, all right? You just wait. You just wait. All right, but then, but ultimately here, we groan inwardly. That's a spiritual groaning. Help me understand that. It says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly for our adoption. So first fruits is the farming term. When a harvest was about to be gathered, a sample of the harvest came and was presented as the first fruits, as the representation and the guarantee of the harvest to come. Okay? So we in Christ, we have been saved. Right? We are being saved. We have the Holy Spirit within us. But the Bible is very clear. We shall be saved. And you're like, well, how can I be saved in three different tenses because that's the reality of our salvation. We have been justified. We are innocent at past tense. We are being sanctified. We are changing into Christ, but we shall be saved, glorified in perfection. So we've tasted the presence of God, but we know there's so much more to come. I really hope you're going to share and resonate with what I'm about to say to you in terms of describing this. I've tasted God's presence. Like, I know God's spirit lives within me. I've tasted the fullness of God's presence. You're in those moments, and you are so consumed with God's presence. There's not a thought in the world that can distract you. All of your affections are all going to Jesus Christ. You care not for self. You are so satisfied. You are so filled with joy. You are so overwhelmed with his glory. You are so willing to praise. You are not thinking of self. You are just so overcome by God's presence. You are weeping with joy in the reality and the glory and the presence, and you've tasted it. You've tasted his presence. doesn't stay that way forever and then you go back into other seasons and you're you're longing for the day for the day and the reality when you see Christ face to face it'll be unending never diminished you're groaning for that that's what it means there you're groaning for that a lot of us we've tasted victory over sin we've had great seasons We've seen great growth in Christ. We have victory over certain things, but the reality is we lapse back into other seasons of failure or discouragement or shame where we have a good week and then a bad week, but we've tasted the victory. We've tasted it, and we just imagine the day when all sin forever dealt with no more temptation, no more Satan, no more darkness. We just long for that day. We're groaning for future and final victory over sin and death and Satan and again, and, and in all darkness. Many of us, we've, we've tasted again. We've tasted the reality of eternal life or tasted the sense of God's glory. We've tasted it. We've sensed what it means that we are a spiritual being who's been uh, regenerated and we're a new creation. And we taste eternal life and we just imagine, man, that day. See, Paul does this over and over and over again. For, for to me to live as Christ, to die as gain, well, ask him with the body, present with the Lord. He said, my body is just a tent. I'm groaning. I'm burdened, 2 Corinthians 5, longing for what will be. This is how we are to groan. It's so good to groan. 
You know what i got to say right now, too, that's so important? If what I just described to you, you're like, mm, no, I don't have any of that. And you're like, no, I'm not, I don't need to grow, man. I'm happy with my life. I like what I, I like with living in the world. I like watching the next game. I like my food. I like my hobbies. I like hitting the gym. I like doing this. I like going to drive my fast cars. I'm good, man. I'm not growing for anything above here. I'm just, I'm just neat, tidy, happy, hanging out here. I'm satisfied. You're in trouble. If that's you, and you're all good here and now, and you're not, the stuff I said, and you're, you're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm any of that. If that is you, I'm telling you, man, look out. That's not good. Anyone who genuinely has a spirit of God within them is not okay with just this world. Like, you're hearing this right now, and you're alive in Jesus Christ. There should be, the Holy Spirit's like, ah, uh, yeah, that's a pretty big, you might listen to that part. Like, in the word there, you gotta pay attention to that, because that's, that's a big part of what I do is the Holy Spirit in your life. We're longing for what will be. If you got none of that, man, I'm telling you, you gotta examine your heart to find out whether or not you're in. I wanna pause there, because even in our day, there's too many people sitting in church who think they're alive but aren't. Maybe because they, earn, they try to earn something from God. or You can't earn anything. It's faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ and his grace. And that's where the hope then comes when the hope is there, man. The groaning of the reality of the spirit of God and all that he has and the affections and the love. It's so good to groan, and this should be a big part of who we are and what we do. The hope, the more we groan, again, groaning for our adoption, groaning for our redemption of our bodies. And here's what I love about this, too. Look here for a second. Look here for a second. When you hold tight on to hope, check that. When you give hope a huge bear hug, and you just hold on, I'm not letting go, this is what allows you. The more you hold on to hope, the more you can let go of the world. Okay, again, this is, this is one of Paul's secret, right? He's like, the surpassing, the surpassing worth of Christ means so much to me. He says, I can count the world as rubbish, which honestly what he's describing there is excrement. Dung. Because I see the world as that because I'm holding so tight onto the worth and hope of Jesus Christ and the gospel. The tighter we hold onto hope, the easier it is to let go of the world around us. Uh, Paul Tripp, wonderful author, biblical counselor, he provides insight into this. This will be for many of us right now. He says this. I love this quote. Because we live as this world is all there is, we are perennially demanding and disappointed, thinking that we have been dealt a particularly difficult hand. We envy the people around us who appear to have what we don't. We find it hard to celebrate the success of others. With the assumption that this is our final destination, we constantly want more and better. We're never able to say, I have enough. We possess too much, eat too much, spend too much, dream too much, demand too much, complain too much, expect too much, keep score too much, ask too much, and we are disappointed too much. You see, we don't need a better now. No, we need forever or hope to reshape our here and now. That is good. Okay? Are you saying that? The whole point is, it's not about now increasing now. The whole point is looking for what will be, which changes how you live in the now. So if all your expectations are gathering stuff for today and this earth, then we're living anti-New Testament lives. By the way, let me just pause long enough to say this. This is where this passage like this today flies in the face of so many false gospels in our day. Let's talk about the false gospel of the prosperity gospel. The false gospel of the prosperity gospel. Because the prosperity gospel says it's all about the now. Give me health, give me wealth, give me happiness now. I want more stuff. 
I want more money. I want, just, just think about the prosperity gospel is the antithesis of Romans 8. Romans 8 says the opposite of everything the prosperity gospel teaches because the prosperity gospel is not of the word. It's not of the Lord. It's not of Jesus Christ. It's not true. It's false. It's leading you astray. It's bankrupting lives, ironically. It's causing so many people to be lost and dead in the pursuit of the temporal as they forsake the eternal. See, Romans 8 says, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't live for now. You live for what will be. In fact, you weigh glory with the present sufferings, and it's not worth comparing because of the beauty and the glory that Christ will reveal to us in him. That's the wisdom that we need in our time. These are the people truly following the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know? Because it's so clearly stated in his truth. And if we are being deceived on certain levels, oh, may God give wisdom. May God even right there just being like, yeah, what kind of Christianity am I living anyways? Paul makes it abundantly clear. We are to groan, not for now. We're to groan for what we will receive and our reward on that day when Jesus Christ returns. You got hope? You got hope? It changes what we value. You got hope? It groans. We groan. For our redemption. And then thirdly, this you got hope, you got hope. We wait for it, it's redemption. We wait for it with eager patience. That's really eager patience. Where do you get that from? The Bible. Look at verse 23, okay? Halfway through verse 20. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he does, what he sees. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay, so the word hope is used five times in these verses, just saying, okay? The word wait is used twice. Now notice how differently wait is used in these verses. Uh, In verse 23, we are to wait eagerly for our redemption. So um, wait eagerly carries this, straining the neck. Straining to see. Straining. You're just eagerly anticipating, again, the redemption. But in verse 25, it says, we wait with patience. Patience is perseverance, steadfastness. So you can be like, okay, so I'm supposed to wait with expectation, eagerness, but I'm supposed to wait with patience at the same time. Isn't that a contradiction? No, no, not at all. Look at John Stott in his commentary. He says this, very helpful. He says, we are to wait neither so eagerly that we lose our patience, right? It's like, I want it now, I want it now, I want it now, I want it now, forget, I'm done, right? No, no. Nor so patiently that we lose our expectation, just like yawning ourselves off to sleep, and then we grow into apathy, right? Not that. He says this, right? He says, but eagerly and patiently we are wait together. That's so good. That's so good. We wait for our redemption. We're, we're eager. We're anticipating. We're expectant. But we're also patient, see? So one of the tests. This passage is being preached over you right now. Our minds should be renewed. Our affections should be stirred. Our wills should be guided towards the Lord's. So we're sitting here right now. We should be feeling a greater expectation than when we came in. There should be a greater love for Christ in the acknowledgement of his return. There should be the Holy Spirit saying, hey, stop wasting your time in that. And let's move towards my will in this. 
Stop being so obsessed with all your entertainment, all the ridiculous time you're wasting. Let's move over here now to actually live our lives in line with the gospel truths and the expectation. There's a growing anticipation and expectation as we wait. But at the same time, we wait with patience, which means perseverance or, again, steadfastness or, listen, listen, I won't give up. When life gets hard, I won't give up. When I'm in trial, I won't give up. When expectations are not met as I saw them, I won't give up. Philippians 1.6, because what the Lord starts, he will finish. If I have hope, I wait patiently. I, I press on through the storm because I believe Jesus Christ is going to return for me. So what I love is what happens in certain weeks is this, the unity of the Bible is, is just nothing other than supernatural. Like, it's just incredible. So I got all these themes on my heart from Romans 8 here, and through our series on hope, I'm thinking about it a lot. And my readings brought me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I was like, oh, I'm going to read 2 Timothy 2. I've read that, I don't know, a thousand times. You go read chapter 2, I'm going to read chapter 1. Read chapter 1, read chapter 2, I'm going to read chapter 3. I'll read chapter 4, okay? I read the letter, four chapters. And I was just sitting there, like, kind of stepping back from it and thinking, okay, if I'm, this is, this is Paul in prison, about to die, writing to Timothy. Timothy, this young man, timid man, afraid, ashamed of Paul and his chains. How do we know the text says that? I'm trying to think, what, what, what would Timothy be taking away if he read this letter for the first time about what ministry is like? And if you go from 2 Timothy chapter 1 to chapter 4, I mean, here are the themes that Paul is, again, so clearly stating. He's like, hey, Timothy, you're going to suffer, man. You're going to suffer. Like he says like six times. You're going to suffer. You're going to be afraid. Don't be afraid. God gave you not a spirit of fear, power, love, self-control. Don't be ashamed of my chains or the Lord Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit. Guard the gospel. Hey, Timothy, this world is going down the toilet. hate to tell you. Second Timothy 3. Like it's just everything's going to go bad to worse, man. It's going to be awful. But he's saying, but as for you, but as for you, continue in what you have firmly believed and you have known. The sacred writings, the sacred writings which you wise for salvation. Hey, Timothy, it's going to be really, really tough. But he says, listen, but you got to preach the word. Whatever you do, preach the word. Don't tickle the ears. It's in season around. Don't give up, man. Jesus Christ, it's all going to happen. Hey, Timothy, I've had uh, three couplets of people who opposed me and deserted me and a couple other guys who tried to do me great harm. So as you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, people will abandon you on a regular basis. People will oppose you all the time. People will try to inflict harm on you. But don't give up, Timothy. Have hope. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be so much going on. But guard that good deposit. Because at the end, at the end, he says this, Timothy, I'm about to die. I'm in prison. But he says this. Hope's not mentioned. It's just littered with it. Okay? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And here it comes, here it comes, right? Here's the eschatology again from Paul. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. There it is. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on the capital D day of his return. And not only to me, I love this, not only to me, but also to all who have loved eschatology, loved his appearing. Timothy, and after this, he goes on, more guys will abandon me, right? Did me harm. But in the end, Timothy, this is why we live. Right here. That day, the crown of righteousness will be awarded to those who have persevered and endured and waited eagerly yet patiently in hope for their reality and their status and the glory to be revealed in Jesus Christ. Second Timothy the whole letter of it is really summarizing verse 18 of our passage today. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be 
revealed to us, revealed to us in Christ Jesus. You got hope? I hope so, man. I hope so. Listen, it won't give you a mustache. But, but it will be seen, it must be seen from our lives. A hope will be heard from our lives. Listen, loved ones, our hope changes how we talk. Our hope will be seen in our actions. Changes how we live. Our hope will be witnessed in our generosity. Our hope will be detected in our direction. Our hope will be savored in our songs. It'll be savored in our songs, it will. The hope must come forth. Songs like, for Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. Waiting eagerly. The clouds be rolled back as the scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Waiting patiently, even so, it is well with my soul. Got hope? Oh, Lord, fill us with hope. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, do fill your church with hope today. Renew our minds. Stir our affections. Lead our wills. I want to make this abundantly clear. Anyone who's here right now and you have not been saved in Jesus Christ, you have never turned from sin and asked Jesus to forgive you and live within you, you can do that right now. You can say, Jesus Christ, I believe today it has been revealed to me that you are my hope, you are my light, you are my love, you are my savior, you rescue me from my sin. I repent of my sins against you. I receive the love from you. And I pray as you have been raised from the dead to newness of life, that I too, I too, want to be raised from the dead, that I may have a hope that will never, ever leave me, will never, ever be defiled, that will be indestructible for all of eternity. Oh God, would you save people right now, here, overflow, whoever's listening. Save people right now. Jesus, you are the answer. Jesus, you are. You are hope. That is why we can sing. That is why we can sing. That is why we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.